This is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Idell. And today, very special guest coming to us from currently South Florida, David Pack. Be, I'm going to call you the guru when it comes to business lending and funding in ways I don't even know were possible. So, David, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. How are you doing today? I'm really well. Like, I'm, I, admittedly, I'm fascinated by this because from you coming on the show, I went through a period, gosh, six or seven years ago in which I had experienced immense amount of success in my life and then basically bankruptcy, right? Like lost everything, truck repossessed, cars in, or uh, houses in foreclosure. Like I was making really good money and living like I was making really good money and then just made some bad decisions in business. And had I known you at some point thereafter, I might not have, have had to bootstrap everything quite the same way that I've had to to get to where I'm at today. But it's taught me to live without credit, but I'll move all that stuff to the side for a second. You've seen so many businesses come and go in front of your scope of what you do. And we're going to get into that in depth. But I always like to start by asking, what's one lesson you think every entrepreneur should know when they're running, starting, or growing their business? How to manage cash flow. Um, and so what that means is uh, you might take on debt and it might seem like the cheapest debt in the world. Uh, maybe it's at 3%, but if the debt exceeds the cash flow, your business is going to fail. Um, at the same time, if you're undercapitalized when you're starting a business, your, your business, you're either going to go through a really hard times while you're starting your business, or your business is going to fail because you just don't have the capital to, to push through to where you're starting to get increasing streams of revenue. I love it. I love it. And I think that's brilliant because it certainly applied to me, right? It's forced me from where I sit, right? I've grown my business over the past six years with essentially no ad spend, no anything, and they have grown into right, a nice size business now. And I'm fortunate to have reserve cash and right, payables are not, almost non-existent, receivables are always high, so my cash flow is always in a good position. But it took me running businesses in the complete wrong way to get here. And, well, and that's the goal for every business. And um, so we like to provide education on how to do those things on top of providing lending products and meeting the business owner where he is. Uh, a lot of business owners, you ask for an accounts receivable report and they're like, what? <laughs> like, all right. So, so let's start here. Let's start with, all right, here's your, here's what's coming in here. Going out. Let's, let's get you into some tax help. Let, let's get profit and loss. Let's get balance sheets going and, and let's show you how to go into your business. Yeah, I love it. And, and David, for right, I'm getting to know you better, but someone that's listening right now, what firm do you work for? How long have you been there for? What are all the pieces and parts that go behind the scenes to bring you up to this moment? So I work with Sprout Lending. Um, it's run by a gentleman named Jonathan Federa, and um, we're a marketplace lender. So typically, you have equipment finance lenders, or you have guys doing subprime MCA type lenders. You have people that specialize in invoice factoring. You have people that specialize in SBA funding. Um, but we kind of combined all that into one thing uh, and then brought in an in-house underwriting team. So the, the traditional model for lenders is I'm going to go up to the bank for an SBA loan. I get a yes or a no off of credit pull analysis and all that. If I don't get that, now I'm going to go down to the next year. We'll apply for term loan lending. Okay, well, that was a no. Now you've got two inquiries on your credit. I'm going to go down and down and down and down. And they chase down this rabbit hole. And, and by the end of it, they've got... Uh, they, they've applied at a cash advance place, which cash advances aren't bad. 
Um, they've got their space in the industry. They've got their place in the industry. What's bad is they'll end up with a, a broke that doesn't really know what's going on, and they blast their, their application out to 15 people. Now you're sitting with 20 inquiries on your credit. And everybody's now saying no because your credit went from a 680, which may or may not qualify for SBA funding, down to a 530 overnight because of inquiries. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, I mean, you really think about it. The average, the average person that I know has never been educated on how the credit system works. Right? I came from the automotive industry a long time ago, ran high-end luxury dealerships. So I would see you know, people that sit down in front of me and they're making, you know, four or 500 grand a year. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be a no brainer. It's going to be an open and shot case. We're going to approve the S class. It's 110 grand. And they could be a 720 credit score, but their revolving debt load, basically their internal household cash flow was so far out of whack. Their score didn't justify Mercedes-Benz financial approving their loan. Right. So even just how a credit report works and how, all that plays into a, a lending decision, I think is incredibly impactful, if you don't mind sharing some of the high level pieces from, from your standpoint. So, um, Eric assumes when they're gonna log, log into something like Credit Karma or Experian, uh, and they're gonna see their score. Um, but what that doesn't take into account are, are the things like you talked about, how much revolving credit do you have? Um, the difference between having a $5,000 limit on your credit cards and a $10,000 limit on your credit cards, in and of itself will affect how your credits, uh, your, your credit situation and who wants to approve you for what. Um, your debt utilization on your revolving credit. If, is it under 35%? One tier. Is it under 40%? That's another tier. Is it under 65%? Is it maxed? And so you may have a 680, but if you've got 30 or $40,000 worth of credit card debt, nobody's going to approve you, even with a 700, um, which, which is your typical level for getting approved for term lending. Nobody's going to approve you if you're revolving debt and your debt to income doesn't justify what you're doing. And so we see a lot of people that over leverage themselves uh, and they want to live at the very top of their means or even above their means. And then they come to us for financing and we end up having to spend a good bit of time straightening the finances out, um, figuring out how we can either consolidate, which consolidation is not easy. Um, it's not a, an option I ever really recommend to anybody because the only option for consolidation is we're gonna take all these loans that have all these interest rates, we're gonna them all together and then put another interest rate on top. So um, it, it's a lot to think about with, with the inner workings of, of where underwriters see files and, and what we specifically look at. Uh, and then in terms of the business aspect, uh, it, we see the same thing. Uh, a business owner will come to us with a 720 um, and he's like, hey, I put $80,000 in the bank last month. All right, well, that sounds like a great promising thing. Well, if you look at the six months previous, they might have had three months of $80,000 and months of 40,000 and now they might be staggered. So now you have um, really exponentially jumping revenues and that represents a risk to a lender. Um, because what if you, are you going to have an eighty thousand dollar month? You can have a forty thousand dollar month, and so equalizing cash flow, um, kind of the same thing. Uh, deposits for for a lender. If you have one deposit a month, that deposit can be one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, but it represents the risk to the lender because what if that deposit doesn't come through one month? So having multiple deposits equalize cash flow, and, and the cash flow can be going up. We we prefer to see it going up. Um, we don't like to see declining revenues. We prefer to see uh, cash flow up. But as long as it's going up at a steady pace, it, it's not $20,000, $70,000, $40,000, $90,000. And, 
And, and so those are all kind of things that play in when we're talking about financing, we're talking about credit, not only personal credit, but also business credit as well. Well, what I find fascinating about that, David, is now, right, if I go back, I was in the automotive industry, let's call it 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And it seems like there's been a normalization of rationalization behind what it takes to get approved for a loan, right? And what I mean by that is what you just said or what I heard you say is, okay, great. A lender's going to look at your overall file and they're going to start applying logic to it where if your revenues are consistently going up or at least flatline, that's better than if they're peaking in Valley. And if you have a multitude of different deposits, that's better than just one big deposit every month. It's like they want to stabilize and right, stave off some of their risks. This is not pre-2008 times anymore, right? Where it was the Wild West. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, private, probably around 2012, the, this really started to change where um, it used to be, we're going to put your information on the computer, we're going to click a button, and it's called an automatic score model. It's going to say yes or no or what tier you fall into. And um, so those systems are still around and you can still find those systems. Um, but what good ones do is they do look at the credit health as a whole. Um, they don't just look at one particular issue. Um, they're they're going to look at, okay, well, what's he going to do with the product? Um, is, is this money going to double his revenues? Uh, does he have a steady plan for that? Uh, when we're talking startup financing, what are his pro forma projections like and are they realistic? Because um, we'll look at the last 10,000 files that have come through and said, okay, this is the industry. Here's the pro forma projections and how they should grow. Uh, and, and what pro forma projections are, just for, for the people that don't know, that's what you're projecting that your sales are going to be and how you're going to grow. Um, so if you're telling something like, I'm going to start a buy here, pay here place, I'm going to buy a million dollars in cars, and I'm going to sell $7 million in cars my first year. Well, we're going to put that in the matrix. We're going to take a look at the previous history of people opening car dealerships like that. Uh, and the reason I use buy here, pay here is because it's a much more realistic example than somebody with seven Toyota dealerships opening an eight. Right. So we're going to look at the, the history of that and say, okay, for somebody who did floor plan financing for their first million dollars in vehicles, they only sold on average three. You're telling us you're going to sell two and a half times that. We might want to scale this back and about this a little further. Which makes perfect sense, right? And it's, I think that's a fascinating question I'm curious about, right? Let's, let's say I have a, right from the car world, I am actually curious about potentially opening up a small dealership. Right, not not a factory franchise, nothing like that. Just a you know a, a small lot with you know average cost of inventory being ten grand, having no more than right thirty cars in inventory, so about three hundred thousand dollars worth of cars at any given moment in time. Right, what's it take for us somebody like me off the street to potentially be considered for a loan to actually pull that off? Um, so that's a great question. Um, and answer to that is twofold. Um, so you've got really two routes you can go with that. And you have startup uh, capital that you can do like personal loans. And, and that all goes off personal credit. Um, getting 300 would be kind of tough, uh, I'll be honest, in that area. Mostly that caps out around 200, 250. Uh, and now we're talking like 800 uh, plus credit scores. Uh, the other option is something called an SBA startup loan. Uh, and the challenging part of an SBA startup loan is they do typically want you to have 10% cash down so that you have skin in the game. And what SBA loans are is small business administration backed funding. And so what, what happens with that is a bank issues a loan 
um, say $300,000, for example, uh, and you default on it. Um, the Small Business Administration of the U.S. government is going to pick up 80% of that value and give the bank back 80% of that value. So it represents a, a very, very small risk to the bank itself. Um, now, when we're talking about SBA loans, they do want you to have 10% down. Um, the harder part is they also want you to have a career experience in the industry you're trying to start. So if you're applying to start a car dealership and you're a lawyer, they're going to look at you a little funny because, yeah, you may have the cash down, but you don't have any industry experience in running that. Which makes great sense, right? It's, it's again, saving off that, that liability potentially for them and pushing, pushing out against right, the default rate, which is just a, a, a curious question for me, right? I know what it used to be in the dealership world, right? If we would run about a 3% default rate on loans, right? It, just how we were yeah. scheduling our paper. What's, what's your, what has your portfolio's default rate been? Um, and that's a really hard question to answer because we work with such a diverse crowd. Um, and then what happens uh, in, in our world is we can only control us. Um, so the, the default rate on SBA is incredibly, incredibly low in that 2% range. Um, stuff happens, things happen, people die, whatnot. Um, if you get down into the line of credits where you're establishing a business line of credit, um, probably it's typically around the same thing. Um, the lower and lower tiered products you offer, if you start offering alternative financing or advances, stuff like that, the rate goes up. Uh, because what ends up happening is maybe we advance somebody $100,000, their return on that $100,000 is $200,000. And we say, hey, listen, we're going to get you into this advance. We're going to, yeah, it's going to be weekly, daily, uh, whatever the payment should be, whatever the rate should be. Uh, you're going to turn it into $200,000. And we're going to revisit this in six months after we've cleaned credit and, and we've equalized uh, your cash flow. We've gotten you uh, where you're having a little more steady uh, money in the bank. And then they'll go out and take more from different lenders. Um, one of the things that we don't do is um, if if you can't if you don't have a good return on that, you can't uh, articulate what you're going to do with the funds. Like that, that's not the person for us um, because we don't like those default rates. Of course, right? Because essentially, it sounds like you're you're. How are you funding the deals? Is that all coming from? essentially owner's personal capital or are you backed by private equity? How do, where's the cash come from um, your portfolio? It, it depends on the type of loan uh, lines of credit. We have a couple of uh, lenders that do that. Uh, we typically work with uh, marketplace lenders, A and B and C paper lenders. Um, we do have some very, very low alternative financing lenders that um, don't offer great terms. Uh, and we very seldom use those. Uh, but what we do a lot of is putting people into products, um, that they can really benefit from and uh, moving that product from say alternative financing into a credit line. And that all does come from lenders. Okay. So you're, you're essentially what I would call a broker dealer, right? I'm probably using the wrong term for your, for your industry, but you have access to a plethora of different lenders that are going to fit um, different criteria. It, it's fairly uh, accurate. Um, we call ourselves the marketplace. Yep. I love it. Right. I, exactly. And, and the difference between us and most other people is uh, we can underwrite in-house uh, and that, and that would be what we say, why we're not just a, a brokerage, uh, a brokerage typically is in a file and throws it out to all the lenders and says, Hey, who wants this? Um, we're going to bring in your file. We're going to do an analysis in-house 
And we're only going to send it to ones that we know are going to have very high approval odds. Got it. Got it. So who, who right now, David, would be your ideal right, one, two, three clients, right? If, 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 I, if someone's listening right now and like, you know, I don't know if I really need capital. I don't know if I need a loan. Right? To me, that's a beautiful spot to be in, right? Always having that line of credit or something in, in the wings. That means you're probably cash flow positive for your business and might be able to deploy it for additional growth. But I'm not, a, I'm not in banking. So who's, who's your ideal client? Well, and you just kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Um, the ideal client is somebody that doesn't need it um, and that wants to use it for growth. Uh, and so what I mean by that is if you're calling me saying, hey, I've got payroll in three days and I don't have the cash for it. Um, yeah, we can do it. Uh, that's, that's not what I want to spend my time doing. I, I want to spend my time with the restaurant owner who wants to put a, a patio out on his back deck so he can increase his revenue by $20,000 over the course of three months. Like that, that's the type of client we want to work with. Um, we want to work with business owners that don't have a line of credit or maybe aren't happy with their credit line. Uh, and we can help them establish that new credit line. Uh, and then uh, anybody that equipment purchased. Um, so trucking industry is huge for us. We, we can finance semi-trucks. Um, we can also invoice factoring for those guys, which um, typically is a very dirty term. Um, you can have invoice factoring companies doing five and six percent of the invoice value. Um, we're typically under two and it's a very, again, it's a very responsible form of lending because we go direct to the lender. We're not shipping files from one person to another person to another person to another person. So if, if I had to answer that question, number one, I would say restaurant owners are fantastic. Um, they, they have a lot of cash flow. They always want to grow. They always need equipment. They always need, uh, and, and even into like the merchant services, um, they, they, a lot of them don't understand what the true cost of their capital and merchant services is. So we can do a lot of work with restaurant owners. Um, the trucking industry is another huge one. And then just in general, business owners or people looking to start businesses um, that know what they want, that have a good idea of what they want, and, and they're ready to grow. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So this has been fascinating so far because there's so many opportunities that you have in, in front of you, right? For, for myself, for the listener, for anybody that stumbles upon this, like you, I get the impression you essentially are truly the one-stop shop, right? Is there? Uh, we, we really try to be, man. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, the concept of Sprout came from is Sprout's all about growth. Um, it's where the business name came from. And so we do want to handle you from the time you're starting your business until you're looking at private equity deals or, or applying for these massive million dollar loans, uh, commercial real estate loans. We want to start you and then be with you and help you develop all the way through until you are applying for SBA financing, you are applying for equipment financing, and we're going to show you how to get those approvals. Well, and what I find fascinating, right, in, in this economy we're in now, as you are listening, listener, and you have an idea for a business, if you can spend enough time to create an actual business plan, do actual research, create an actual performa, you can essentially, I believe what I'm hearing, I know other, other friends of mine have done this before, get set up with a merchant processing account, have you guys factor out a percentage of the deposits from the merchant processing account, so you kind of bake it into your daily operational expenses or operational expenses overall, mm -hmm. so you're not even having to worry about making the payments. You get to, I mean, you're making the payments, but it's not, it's coming out every day, and then the lender, i.e. David, is working with you side by side to ensure the fact that cash flow is steady in the business and growth is steady in the business because it ensures they're going to get paid back. And it gives you the jump start into 
where you want to be, which again, I'm going to assume that from so the, the company that just about bankrupt me, David, is I went all the way into high-risk merchant processing with gaming and porn and all the crazy obscure stuff, right? I went deep, deep in the rabbit hole, right? But I was buying money for 2.15 back then and selling it for 7.5, right? And it was, you know, I was on a 70-30 split, but I was holding the majority of the liability, right? So it was, yep. it was good until it got really bad with chargebacks and fraud and all the things that go into that industry. And that was write a big check, shut down the company, lick my wounds, because it was it was a sizable check to walk away from it with all the, all the liability that was on the backside. Oh, absolutely. And so most people, like you as a business owner, without knowing, again, I want to put words in David's mouth, but I know with something as easy as Stripe, you're going to pay 2.95, 3.05 for non-qualified cards to run a credit card transaction. So as you're planning your business out, the part you don't think about is, okay, I'm going to charge $1,000 for my service. Well, you're not getting $1,000. It's, $1,000 is never going to hit your bank account. It's just not the way it works. It's not even close, right? You're, you're probably bringing in 970 bucks, give or take, 965. And then David above and beyond that can take a portion of that, right, David? And I'm, I'm maybe not. Maybe I'm like way off base here. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the big thing in merchant processing that people don't understand is it's, it's be a race to the bottom. And the, pro, the, uh, the partners we have in merchant processing, um, they don't look at it that way. They look at the value add, how we can help the client, how we can solve the client's problem. And yeah, you're talking Stripe at 2.93%. Um, that, that's definitely never going to be something you want to pay. Um, unless you're in a high risk industry where you have no other options, like firearms, something like that. Um, but they don't understand when they're looking at their merchant processing statement, they don't understand how that statement comes out. Um, so all they're seeing is the 1.2% or the 0.04%, but they're not looking at the $25 interchange fee they have monthly stacked on top of the other hidden fee uh, yearly stacked on top of the quarterly fee and their effective rate. Once they actually do an effective rate, they might be paying 4%, but that rate at the bottom is 0.04. So that's what they're paying. And so that's something to really consider as a business owner is what is the entirety of your, your credit situation? What is the entirety of your processing situation? Do you have batch fees? Do you have interchange fees? And those are all okay things um, in moderation. And if they fit your business model, um, they're not okay things. If you're an uneducated business owner and a merchant processor is making bank off you for no reason. Well, of course, I, I love that, right? As a, as a consultant myself, if I sit down and look at a business plan with someone or just a general operating procedure for a business, if you're not, in my opinion, running a 20% gross to net before some of these, you know, ancillary operational expenses that they get hidden away, right? You don't, you don't think about the merchant processing statement that you're only settling 96 cents out of every dollar, right? So when you water mm -hmm. down as a business owner, right, you, make, you might take home 10% uh, loosely 10% of every dollar, right? But if, if you're getting to an ultra competitive marketplace, right? I came from the direct response digital marketing world, David, where, you know, I'd sell CBD was the last company I grew and sold. And when I started it, it was great, right? It was, I felt like it was me and four other people. And then <laughs> overnight, it's like everybody in this massive race to the bottom where everybody's chopping each other's knees to get to the lowest price point. And I started looking by the time, right? Cause it's digital. So it was high risk. I was paying 6% to process credit cards plus or minus. And start looking mm -hmm. at the monetization. I'm like, man, I got, I have a 10% reserve on my account. There's no way I can keep running this business. Like I'm, I have all the risk and liability to at best make a 7% return on investment. I'm going to sell it. It doesn't, this isn't a viable business because that 10% is not guaranteed. You're right in the reserve accounts. 
No, it's not. And then uh, you do run the risk of if you have too many chargebacks going through, the, the credit card processing company will just freeze your account. Uh, and that's, that can be overnight. And it's so it's, it's understanding like for CBD is a, a huge industry where everybody wants processing. Most people don't qualify for it because it's super high risk. They want to process $10,000 a month. Um, and they're just not where they need to be yet. Um, but understand the risk that it is to the processor on this back end side, where half the CBD stuff, if it's it's bad, they're going to be massive chargebacks. And again, you know from the CBD industry, all CBD is not created equal, man. No, and and right, this would be a funny story probably for you. Maybe as you're listening, it won't matter. But right, we would because of the way that affiliate marketing works, we just baked into our business model is about a two percent chargeback. And knowing mm-hmm. these are MasterCard rules and regulations say anything over 1%, you're basically guaranteed to get red flagged, right? They're going to either freeze you, look into you, shut you off. Like it's not a long-term viable model because they're assuming the fact that it's a, uh, you're doing something wrong, right? Because what's very unique is, is you're listening. Visa MasterCard haven't really come back out and done a broad sweep of how merchant processing works since like 1988 when they were first getting point of sale credit card terminals out, where of course, if McDonald's had a 1% chargeback, it might as well have been that their burgers didn't have meat in them, which we now might actually think burgers don't have meat, but back then it would have been blasphemous <laughs> to say that out loud. And so the 1% chargeback was just something that didn't happen. Like no one was doing that. But then you look today in the digital marketing age with affiliate fraud and all the different metrics that go into it, there are certainly some shysters out there that are taking your money and not ever giving you product. That absolutely happens sometimes and those people need to be shut down. Then there's people who try to run a good, solid, legitimate business and someone in between that's providing you traffic, they're stealing credit cards, they're running credit card numbers through your account because they're getting paid a conversion fee on every sale and we don't know until we ship it and it bounces back. And so the 1% chargeback is pretty rough to run in an aggressive affiliate model. So we would actually buy right? I'm completely exposing myself here. We would buy prepaid cards and make sure they were under the right percentage for prepaid transactions underneath <laughs> the right. We had four different bins that we'd buy the prepaids from and make sure they were below a certain threshold per processing account, right? Because we, we had all the normal offenders, right? We didn't just have one account. We had four just to make sure we we're stabilized in some different business structures. But to think of how much work I would put in to make like I said, six or 7% return on money. And then you had all the risk. All of it. Yes. Which again, I know you get to see way more businesses than I can ever imagine looking at. If someone's considering opening a business, what do you say the absolute minimum, right? What I'll call gross to net. What does that look like for you to be interested in potentially working with the business? Um, it, it all depends on the industry. Um, one of the businesses we do see a lot of is, uh, again, the trucking industry, where you may be a driver for a fleet like Swift, for example. Um, Swift has thousands of people out there driving for them. And you may be a driver, you've saved up a little bit of cash, you've gotten everything ready, uh, and you've found a freight broker you like, and you're looking at, okay, I'm going to go out and buy my first truck myself. And those are the guys we see a lot of the time um, where they're about to become an owner operator uh, and they may either use a freight broker, they may lease on to another company under somebody else's authority. Those are somebody that, that we love to see because they already know the industry. Uh, they've typically had several years in the industry and then they're motivated because they've already been doing it. Nothing for them is going to change outside of the fact that now they swipe their gas card and it's their money instead of Swiss money. Um, those are a lot of the people we like to work with. Uh, on the flip side of that, um, 
if you're looking at starting up maybe an e-commerce store, uh, I fund a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of e-commerce stores um, because it's a very small cash investment. You might buy $10,000 worth of product. Um, and Amazon doesn't really charge you for setting up a store. Um, again, there's a lot of work that goes into it, a lot of research that needs to be done on what type of products you're buying. But that's a very, uh, very common thing right now because, again, who doesn't want to get involved in a $141 billion industry? Certainly. And, and I personally, I mean, I am an entrepreneur at heart. I have been for a very long time. I could never imagine going back and having to work for somebody else, right? And I'm not implying, I think you're in a unique position, David, because you essentially have autonomy, right? I mean, you don't, but you do. I do. The way that I look at it. Oh, I uh, absolutely. Yeah. If I don't want to work, uh, I don't have to work. Uh, now that, that never happens. Of course. But... Well, and that's- the, the freedom that we get here at Sprout is, is unmatched anywhere else, man. Um, we, we get the support from the team, but at the same time, um, if I want to be taking phone calls at 9 p.m. after my daughter goes to bed, I can be taking phone calls at 9 p.m. after my daughter goes to bed. Well, I think that's just such a brilliant thing to state because as you're listening, most people that I get the chance to speak to, even if they're an, an entrepreneur, right, they're working for somebody else, they feel called to nobody I don't think wants to work for somebody else anymore. I think there's a great awakening happening where when given the opportunity, people realize if they want to change the trajectory where their life goes, they're going to have to eventually step out on a ledge. They're going to have to put some skin in the game and pony up and find something they're passionate about and learn about creating a business model. And then one of the things I hear all the time is, well, I don't have any money. I can't, I can't start it. Right. So that I bring that up because the car example that I, that I made mention of a good friend of mine, <laughs> who's a client of mine came in and like, I'm, I'm, he owns a little dealership. And I said, look, you could start with five grand. He goes, well, there's no way I can do that. It's okay. You, you can wholesale a car, buy it for five grand, sell for six, buy a six grand car, sell for seven. And in three flips of the car, you go from five to eight grand. Right. So, and yep. it takes work. It takes thought process. It takes diligence, but it's certainly, certainly a capability. And I, I share all that because with people like you available, and your industry and your, your business, there's almost no excuse left for people not to step out into what they want to try to achieve. Right? It's not like you have a solution for everybody. We do. And, and that kind of brings me into what that takes. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of the entrepreneurial dream. And um, a lot of people that I talk to are like, you are always working. And I am always working. And that's because it takes sweat equity to build a business model. But what they don't understand is that I found the industry that I have such a passion for. I love what I do. And I can truly say that I fell in love with the process of helping people. So even when I'm having a bad day and sales aren't going well or, or a deal fell through or something like that, um, that entrepreneurial journey is amazing because I fell in love with the process. Well, and, and that's... I love you sharing that because that's what it all comes down to. Like I, I'm a firm believer in there's part of what we didn't experience as children, right? Whether from our mother or father that we always inherently are solving for. Like I wanted my dad to hear me, right? No, he was around, but like I never felt truly loved or truly heard by him. Even if he was doing the best, he could have absolutely loved me to peace. I know he does, right? He's still around. But in my mind, I didn't get exactly what I needed. And so I was following this bouncing ball on the trajectory of my life. And the last three things I did were 100% because I want to make money at it, right? How much money can I make? How much money can I make? And it always left me feeling empty. It was like I was chasing something that could never be filled up. Mm-hmm. And then when I pivoted and found that thing of like, okay, well, what if I just help other people feel loved and feel heard, right? How can I make money with that? 
And it was, well, you can't really, right? I'm a social worker. I'm not a, I'm not a, right? I'm a capitalist. I want nice stuff. Like I like nice things. And Absolutely. Like, like I can just sit and help people not do all the dumbass things that I've done. And I can make sure they feel heard and feel loved by me and turn into a business. And so what's one of the things that I audit with people, right? And it sounds like you've done it yourself. Is it like, what brings me joy? What would I do if, if I can do anything? What would, I, what would that be? And when you can find something that aligns with that, right? That's the old cliche, you never work a day in your life. Well, I'll be damned if that's true. I, I certainly work hard and I know you do as well. Like it's real exactly. work, but it's really rewarding work. And that's what it boils down to is uh, when, when I'm done at the end of the day and it's an exhausting day and uh, I've gotten up at six and I've worked from six till 10 p.m. at night, um, I really do feel absolutely rewarded by the end of it. Uh, and, and it's because we're here at Sprout. Our, our goal is to provide the best possible options to our clients, not to get paid, not to... Uh, screw people over or, or whatnot. Our, our literal goal and our mission statement is to provide the best possible options to our, our clients. And that's such a profound statement because it takes paycheck completely out of it. Um, when we enjoy what we do and when we focus on helping people solve a very, very large problem in their lives, the paycheck just happens. Well, I, I love that. And what you can't see is I'm, as I'm having this conversation with David right now is he has actually a 24 karat gold robe on and he's smoking this huge, huge, the cigar in your mouth has to be <laughs> at least thirty or $40,000. He's just smoking away. I'm, I'm, I'm completely kidding, right? It's just, uh, it's so refreshing to hear somebody do something just because they love it, right? Because I think that, again, is what I'm encouraging you as you're listening to consider is, David, how could somebody get a hold of you, right? I, we've, we've spoken all this. How could somebody reach out um, to you? Facebook, um, LinkedIn, um, then my email address is uh, dpack at sproutlending.com. Um, you can reach out to me pretty much any of those ways. Um, I'm, I'm pretty constantly available. Facebook is always the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, my profile is public. Uh, I also share a lot of video content on my profile, so you can check me out there. Uh, and, and it talks not only about financing, but just about personal development, how I got to be this way, uh, the, the things that I had to grow into, learn into, the lessons I learned. Uh, because I learned every wrong way in the world and, and how to do this business before we, we, we got it right. Well, which is wonderful. And I'll make sure as you're listening, if you pause this and you go down to the show notes, wherever you're consuming this at, I'll make sure to tag David's Facebook page, include that Deepak, get it, get it at Sprout, his email. I'll get everything there. So it'll be one click away because I know inherently, statistically, 30% of you listening feel called to do something that you are not currently doing. And David could be the solution that it takes to get you to where you want to get to. You just have to have the testicular fortitude to reach out and raise your hand for a second <laughs> and say, Hey, I got this crazy idea. Can you help me with it? Right? Cause you can help. Like it's so refreshing to see, find somebody that can just help someone achieve what they want to achieve. Right. I, I reach out to David. Actually, I posted something a long time ago is how I remember the first time meeting David, one of my clients, brilliant man has invested a lot of cash and capital into learning about business into growing his business and happens to have an Amazon storefront, right? That's how he makes his money. But he has sat on himself with some debt that sits across three or four credit cards, great credit score. He pays it down, but he, his cash flow internally is not where it would need to be to scale the business, right? Internally, not inside of his business, but inside of his personal finance, because he had debt sprung across four credit cards with varying interest rates. 
and none of them were maxed out, but I put out a post, hey, does anybody know someone that specializes in, right, whether debt consolidation or right, not even credit repair, just you know, credit card, almost factoring, like what could we do to make this different? And Dave was one of the ones that literally, like a third of the people that knew me on Facebook all tagged David. I'm like, okay, time out. This, this is definitely something <laughs> that I need to know, right? If, if you're recommended by that many people, it means you run into good business. It just has to. So I, I share that, number one, to say congratulations on the quality of service you offer. And two, that if you're listening at all and you want to do something different, reach out to David because he's probably at this point damn near seen just about every business, every business model, every different crazy idea. I can't imagine what I could throw at you that you haven't seen yet. Uh, I would say over the course of, of the years doing this, uh, we've probably run across just about everything. And if I haven't run across it, I know John has because John has been in the space since the space was created pretty much. Like it's, it's amazing. Uh, I still learn every day, uh, little pieces and tips. Uh, and, and that's something I actually strive for. Um, I posted something yesterday about that where uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays we have training calls. And regardless uh, of the training call, we're constantly learning, we're constantly refining. And you, you said earlier, uh, congratulations for running a good business. That's how we run a good business uh, is because we're constantly refining the process. Absolutely. So David, if you were going to leave the listeners now with one thing that you know that they should implement, right? They, they have a business, maybe they don't have a business, but what's one, especially you're in a personal development space too. What's one thing everybody should do? What's one thing that can make their life better? Open your bank account every single day. Uh, I'm not saying do anything with it, but so many people and business owners included, um, and this is more of the personal development standpoint, people, you're working that W2 job. You know you went to the bar last night and you shouldn't have. You don't know what your bar tab was. Um, you don't know if you're cash flow positive this month. Open your bank account every single day and take a look at where you're at. And that's from both a business and a personal side, because if you don't know where you're at, how are you going to learn to grow? I, it's brilliant. What an impactful lesson to leave everyone with, including myself, is that the details matter, right? Open your bank account, pay attention to the details. And then I'll add to that. When you don't know what the hell you're looking at, reach out to somebody to help you. There's no point in failing alone. <laughs> Nobody wants to see you fail. So, David, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I appreciate your time, your energy. I know you're incredibly busy. Like you're literally having a conversation with me in your office as I can see people coming in and out of your office that need something from you. So you set aside some yep. valuable real estate in the middle of the day to get to connect with me. And I appreciate that. Hey, no problem. I've really enjoyed being here. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, I will get you that information. Great. Thank you so much, David. 